0: This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to the top people and ideas. Powered by U-Mobile, 5G makes business sense. Good morning. Welcome to The Breakfast Grill. I'm Phil C. Now, last Friday, the government announced its largest ever budget in our country's history for 2024. At RM390 plus billion, this will be the unity government's first full budget. And today, I have the pleasure of welcoming into the studio, Nadol Johan Mohamed Merikan, who is the Secretary General of Treasury for the Ministry of Finance. Welcome, Johan. Nice to have you here. Thanks, Philip. Uh, Good to be back. Yes, and firstly, congratulations for pulling this one off. But let's just talk a bit about the process of developing this particular budget, I mean, how different is the unity government's approach in building and developing this budget versus pre- previous administrations under BNP? I mean, it's easier to work with a finance minister who's a career politician as opposed to an investment banker?
1: I, I think first and foremost, uh, as you quite rightly pointed out, this is the first full uh, budget uh, for the unity government. Uh, the, the budget uh, that was announced earlier in February, a lot of the uh, preparation and, and work was done prior to the government coming mm. in. So this is the first uh, full budget. And I think what the Prime Minister was very keen on was seeing how this budget was perhaps a first step to in, in terms of his reform agenda. So I think that's why in terms of sequencing, uh, you had the economy madani uh, mm. first announced, which was then obviously followed up by um, policy documents uh, like the energy uh, transition roadmap, the industrial master plan, the midterm review. Uh, but then certainly the Budget 2024 is then contextualised within uh, the Economy Madame framework. But beyond the Economy Madame framework, you know, Prime Minister is, you know, very committed uh, towards fiscal reform. And you would know that the last time we had a uh, surplus budget was back when he was previously uh, Minister of Finance. Uh, So I think that's the second part. Um, And, you know, is also was very committed towards uh, uh, engagement. So in terms of Ministry of Finance, you know, we engage with all, all the mm. ministers, the, minister, the respective ministers then all undertook uh, engagements with their respective stakeholders in terms of trying to get uh, various inputs and maybe that perhaps contributed to a relatively long budget. Speech.
0: <laughs> yes, I think uh, two hours, 40 minutes uh, in essence. So a lot to unpack here, but let's focus on what actually was not in the budget. And of course, everyone thought the glaring element was GST. Of course, a lot of announcements on capital gains tax, sales service tax increase, luxury tax, but really all that pales in comparison to GST, isn't it? I mean, is the government just doing whatever it takes to defer the implementation of GST then?
1: I think the Prime Minister has been consistent on this topic. He's always said, yes, uh, GST uh, is the most uh, efficient uh, in terms of a of a tax system, but what's important, I, I believe, for him is recognising that GST whatever you do in terms of tweaking the parameters, there's an element that it is a regressive tax by nature. Mm-hmm. And so before, in his mind, before one burdens uh, the general uh, rakyat, he wanted to ensure that we plug uh, whatever leakages uh, and ensure that uh, certainly, that's I think that's, and, and certainly making sure that, let us first look at those who can afford first uh, before, before really in implementing GST. And I think for that reason, uh, you see that um, the measures in terms of better targeting of the subsidies mm. and where the, his initial tax uh, measures uh, look at, for example, uh, capital gains tax on listed shares, uh, luxury tax, even the sales and service tax. Um, I mean, he was very conscious on uh, Prime Minister's part uh, to exclude um, food and drinks from the increase from six to eight. Uh, you know, trying to avoid perhaps those which were more uh, Rakyat-centric uh, in terms of widening that tax base on SST.
0: Sure, but the impact will be that the the opportunity to collect revenue will be quite minimal, right, when you when you put all these exclusions in. So eventually GST will come to us. I guess the question in my mind is, what are the conditions for us, right, when we think GST, when this country is ready for GST? You said there are some prior conditions about being able to plug certain holes. In the past, you said something about income levels, unemployment levels, even the economic growth, right? What are the conditions for us to say, look, we are ready for GST, then,
1: but I think again, you know, one needs to manage the economy to ensure that you know reforms are both uh, sequenced and 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 you know in terms of gradual. Um, you know, it's probably not. Uh, I mean, we're not advisable uh, in terms of the extent of subsidy reforms that we want to un- undertake to then do both subsidy and. Um, So sequentially
0: subsidies first and the GST next, right? That's the sequence. They don't happen in tandem.
1: Certainly the the key focus, uh, particularly Mm. for uh, the government or Ministry of Finance in the coming uh, 2024, uh, the key focus will be for subsidy rationalisation or better targeting of of subsidies.
0: And focusing on subsidies, look, I think it's good that the conversation has shifted, right? It's now no longer whether, but when, how, and who will be targeted for these subsidies. But honestly, with this budget, many feel that you're nibbling in the fringes, right? We talk about, you know, diesel, lifting of chicken and eggs, but really the big kahuna, the biggest ticket item is fuel, right? Petrol at 70% of your total subsidy. What is the timeline and process to sort out that biggest ticket item? Wait, you know, you would
1: understand in terms of planning for sequencing the subsidies in terms of also its its impact. Um, you may say that they're small fry uh, in in relative terms, but when you talk about a chicken egg subsidy, you know that's still a two billion ringgit per, per year uh, subsidy, and it's important that we address it because um, in the course of what was implemented uh, previously, while it had the good intention of uh, controlling for prices to the to the public it had an impact in terms of for sure. the supply chain yes uh, so certainly that was something distortionary which we look we need to see to 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 remove you talk about diesel subsidies and and I think this comes back to the context of Prime Minister wanting to focus first on where are the leakages diesel subsidies actually now are clocking in around one and a half billion per month uh, and what we're seeing as well is that the volumes of subsidised diesel being sold through our petrol stations, they're about 40% higher than pre-COVID, despite, you know, vehicles... Uh, diesel vehicles being only up probably Mm. 2.5%. So certainly there is a significant leakage uh, on that which which needs to be plugged uh, more urgently.
0: Yeah, but I mean, you just say the numbers, right? 2 billion, 1.5 billion. I mean, the context of our subsidy bill for this budget is 53 and last year's budget was, you know, 64 and many even have said could be up to 80 billion at this current fuel price. So, I mean, it just goes to show that, yes, it's important to do these two things, but you have to address fuel, isn't it? There is no two ways about it. Yes.
1: No, but I'm, what I'm saying is that it's, it's uh, you know, diesel is an equally um, uh, big, in fact, it's not far off from our petrol subsidy. Diesel subsidies have grown to be almost petrol. But yes, uh, you're right. Um, but that requires further work. And that's probably next in terms of the sequencing mm. Uh, of, and the expectation, and the of, expectation is
0: very high, isn't it? Because you have really budgeted for a much lower subsidy bill for this year. So you have to address petrol, isn't it? And the question is, when will the government announce clear actions and roadmaps for that? Because honestly, for many of us in business and corporate and people, we have to plan for next year, right? And we, if we have an opaque approach without clear timelines, it's not helpful, right? You know, some...
1: In position I would have said the Prime Minister probably said more than what they would have Uh, preferred. So I think, you know, give credit where it's due. You know, the Prime Minister, you know, I think no one can probably accuse him of coming up with a populist budget. You know, it starts off, you know, hitting already with, you know, higher taxes reducing subsidies you know it really shows you know the prime minister is very committed you know, we made sure that the fiscal responsibility act was approved by parliament just before the tabling of the act uh, you know the prime minister is very serious uh, about I fiscal reform i don't know reform.
0: about that you know i mean populism can be dressed in so many ways for example right he says about targeted subsidies but if he's going to say that 90% of people will still enjoy electrical electric subsidies that targeting is moot isn't it it's irrelevant oh, i think maybe
1: i need to um, I Clarify, uh, on that. I think what the Prime Minister was, was explaining mm. uh, was that uh, when we looked at the 2022 uh, experience in terms of the previous government had provided blanket subsidies for electricity, uh, in that context, the top 10% uh, of the largest consumers of electricity yeah. were actually taking up more than 50% of the subsidy. So in that sense, that's why the current government Uh, Particularly in terms of of 2023, Uh, that's where uh, subsidies were released for larger companies Mm. uh, and in the second half also uh, higher consuming uh, households. The intent is, um, for example, if uh, subsidies were released for households that were consuming above 1,005 kilowatts in the second half, our intention is really to broaden that uh, further in Mm. the coming coming year Uh, because certainly there is room. And it's not just for electricity, it's not just a case of us wanting to save on subsidy. It's also, also included in Prime Minister's speech is that it's also about sending the right market signals. So if you're a large consumer of electricity, you should be facing the unsubsidized price or at least a, a, a price that perhaps gives you a better incentive to invest in either energy efficiency or even solar. And that's tied again as well to what was announced that, you know, in terms of the ministry, uh, uh, in terms of liberalising, in terms of its... NEM uh, quotas, and also in terms of third-party access, to facilitate that, that transition as well.
0: And you make a very interesting point, because here when we talk about targeted subsidies, actually the operative word here is target, isn't it? Who is the target for all the different subsidies that we talk about? And as you rightly explained, for different types of subsidies, there's a very different definition of target, which can be actually very confusing. But the big item now is fuel. How do we define target, right? Is it going to be 90%, 80%, 70%, right? At what point... Is and what criteria do we have in defining that? Because many of our listeners here who are now driving to work, they're going to ask whether am I eligible for that subsidy?
1: No, but you're you're right in that there would have to be different uh, targeting for mm. subsidies. I think, uh, for example, even for electricity, yes, it would make sense for the poor uh, to continue to be to be subsidised. Um, but should the middle income, for example, be be subsidised on on electricity? Uh, because to some extent, not to sound harsh. For electricity there's more of a choice you know in terms of you know what mm. really contributes to your bill at the end is for example things like air conditioning right you know that's that's really a key driver of your electricity bill. Whereas in contrast, petrol for those driving to work, it's not that like you have much option. Uh, you know, in terms of where you live and where you where you work, it's not like you can suddenly overnight change your. You can't transition can, can, so fast patterns, and so yeah. almost by definition, a subsidy for uh, or targeting of subsidy probably needs to cater for a wider group. But you know, again, you have subsidies like. Um, uh, cooking oil, the the famous one kg pack which you buy at two fifty. Certainly, that's again really targeted at the very, uh, you mm. know, the the lower lower income segment. And so again, when you target, that's only a, a smaller segment. So so it it, it does vary uh, according to the type of, of of subsidy. And you know, well, you know, apologies if that you know comes across as as, as confusing. But I think we know, we can't take a one-size-fits-all approach. Yeah,
0: I mean, it sounds like this really target is multidimensional in nature. I think what even complicates things now is that whole tension between subsidies and cash transfers, conditional cash transfers, right? I mean, also in this budget, an increased allocation here for the conditional cash transfers. I mean, how do you differentiate and distinguish, right, when targeted subsidies work versus conditional cash transfers? I mean, we're talking about behavioural economics here a bit now, right? Actually, both...
1: When we say targeted subsidies, it encapsulates in terms of what I would say tiered pricing and cash transfers. Hmm. So electricity is an example of tiered pricing. Um, The higher you consume, the higher uh, tariff uh, you pay. So in a sense... You're using consumption as a proxy uh, for, in terms, so those who are, you know, below 300 kilowatts, they pay what we call a lifeline ban. so that's much lower tariffs compared to those uh, like yourself, you know, who probably <laughs> need to be charged a higher tariff. Uh, and, and we proxy that by by by, con- by by consumption, so that's a form of tiered pricing. We hope to implement a form of tiered pricing as well for uh, restructuring mm-hmm. or, or better targeting the diesel subsidy, um, because we already have a mechanism. Uh, where currently public transport companies, they get a fleet card, which enables them to buy uh, fuel at 188 per litre compared to the pump price of 215. Uh, Our plan is basically to extend uh, that system Mm -hmm. to cover also logistics companies so that if we then subsequently increase pump prices, uh, that the impact on price of goods also will be mitigated. So that's another form of of tiered pricing. There are others which obviously like, you know, if you decided to... um, uh, increase the price of, of chicken and eggs or, or um, uh, of cooking oil. Um, you know, those are probably uh, less conducive to try and come up with some Fancy system to affect a, a tiered pricing; those probably, if, if need be, need, probably will need to be mitigated by some form of of cash transfer. But one interesting approach uh, which we've piloted uh, in 2023, uh, we've worked with uh, MyCase uh, um, on for for at least for the hardcore poor. We experimented with over 100,000 households where they they got 100 ringgit per month mm. in their effectively uh, to their MyCards, which they can use to go to a, a grocery store. To buy basic goods, you know, which, which I think is another factor uh, that we wanted to address in moving to target subsidies. At, you know, one of the experience uh, under uh, Tun Badawi when he float, floated the price of fuel and compensated through a cash transfer was that the problem was that the consumer just saw this six hundred ringgit. They bought know,
0: e-commerce spent, vouchers. Spent it
1: on a phone and then complained the rest of the year why petrol yeah. prices higher. So how do you in, you know come back to behavioral economics? How do you how do you associate? Uh, you know, a cash transfer with uh, the higher or, or rationalised subsidies, that continues to be a challenge. Whereas if it was it was some form of e-voucher or system like, yep. Maika said that obviously helps the linkage.
0: Okay, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we continue our discussions with Datuk Johan Mahmoud Marikan, Secretary General of Treasury, Ministry of Finance. Stay tuned to BFM 89.9. You are listening to The Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G makes business sense. Welcome back. With me in the studio is Adhuk Johan Mahmood-Marakan, Secretary General of Treasury at the Ministry of Finance, as we unpack the Unity Government's first full-year budget for 2024. Now, Johan, let's talk about debt levels. You know, while many have found this budget relatively prudent, definitely not an election budget laden with goodies, we do have challenges, right, improving our government's public finances.
1: Certainly, uh, that's the case. Um, if you talk about uh, debt combined with liabilities, we're already $1.5 trillion Um, we've talked about just uh, debt to GDP, we're at 63.5%. And, you know, pre-COVID, we tried to keep within a 55% statutory uh, debt limit. And we've articulated uh, in our Fiscal Responsibility Act Mm -hmm. that our medium-term goal is to bring it down to below uh, 60%. But sometimes, you know, you talk about affordability of debt, it's not so much the debt to GDP, but more really in terms of your debt service uh, cover ratio and you know, for the longest time, even when I first joined Ministry of Finance, we've always said that we mustn't exceed 15 percent. And, and yeah. you know, this year alone, we've already had 15.2, and next yeah. year projected to be 16. So certainly, uh, there's a need um, to rein in uh, debt and deficits. I think for that reason, uh, we have obviously first the commitment for gradual fiscal uh, consolidation uh, from 5.6 in 2022, 5 percent this year. in uh, 2024 with a commitment to below at least 3.5% in Mm. 2025. So that's a commitment to a gradual reduction because we need to reach a point where your deficit is below your growth rate.
0: Yeah. And naturally, cost discipline is going to be key, right, to make this work. And emoluments is something that many are worried about. As you see in this budget here, 31%, nearly one third of the cost is through emoluments. I remember last time you saying, actually, it's not the number that counts, but really the effectiveness and the right ratio, right? One civil servant to about 20 citizens. Are we there in actually delivering effective public services then?
1: So as you quite rightly point out, actually, if you take both uh, emoluments, not just the federal government, it's, it's all statutory bodies and together with pensions, actually, we're at 50% yeah. of our operating expenditure. So are you uh, implicitly
0: adopting progressive wage pol- policy in the process of this? <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, and, and as you quite rightly point we've we've moved away from this, uh, just as a complete freeze in hiring uh, towards managing uh, the civil service numbers in terms mm-hmm. of a ratio, uh, the 1 to 20, recognising that Whilst uh, perhaps when you look at a macro, it might seem that there's room um, uh, to trim. But at the same time, certainly there's still greater needs, whether in terms of education, healthcare. Uh, So we need to ensure that we manage it in a way that does still cater for for the needs of the people. But I think that's also another reason why uh, Prime Minister, uh, one, in terms of focusing on the effectiveness of expenditure, you know, the policy has been to... Tender out, you know. There's not been any uh, made. There's not been any uh, direct negotiated contract in the nature that we've had uh, before. Even in the urgent uh, flood mitigation projects, those were done by uh, what we call a pre-qualified tender, which which probably accelerates the process. But still, at the end of the day, it's is a is a, ten- is a tender. And going forward, you know, we're lo- really Prime is really focusing a lot in terms of how can we improve in terms of ease of doing business. Uh, the Chief Secretary uh, Tan Sri mm-hmm. has been tasked. Uh, to head this uh, initiative called STAR, which tries to see how can we better deliver. Um, They've already made inroads in terms of reducing um, hospital uh, 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 queues. In terms of, you know, one of the projects uh, which the Prime Minister undertook this year, he said, look, he's one that's not for skyscrapers. He wants to get the basics right. And he did this project where he said, let's just, you know, make sure all the toilets in school are sorted out. And with that, you know, when it's focused on one particular item, you know, we've had more than 8,000, you know, toilets fixed. So it shows (laughs) that that the delivery system can move quickly.
0: Yeah, but I think the issue here is that... It's patchy, right, the delivery. I mean, there's still so much complaints that you have the budget, but execution is still room for improvement, right? I mean, even just over the weekend, announcement of another subcommittee, a budget monitoring committee to ensure allocations are well dispersed. So much frustration that, you know, the agencies on the ground hardly get the money, or it takes very, very long, right? You're kind of begging at the mercies of different ministries. How do you improve the implementation process then?
1: I think there has been, admittedly, some issues uh, this year in terms of the mm-hmm. implementation of development expenditure uh, projects. Perhaps one there was this, sort of, not say a delayed budget, uh, but because it was retabled in February, perhaps warrants were a bit slow. Um, in terms of then now, a focus towards uh, tendering, um, but certainly going forward, uh, you know, the prime minister, you know, has emphasised time and time again that projects must 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 run. Uh, we at at least at the Ministry of Finance. Uh, you know, this obviously requires us to ensure that, for example, you know, um, allocation warrants are out uh, quickly. Uh, we try to facilitate as much as possible in terms of, of procurement flexibilities where it's, it's warranted. Uh, in addition to that, I think the, my colleagues in the Ministry of Economy, I think really in terms of deciding which were the development expenditure projects for 2024 and beyond, mm. really trying to see what they would deem as chunkle ready, those which were ready to take off. Whereas, you know, as as you probably recall from your time in government, sometimes <laughs> we have an approved project but even the land has not been quite yes. sorted out. So these are some of the things that, that need to be addressed. I'm not saying that it's all been addressed, but the the focus on implementation is is, is there and and you know, I, I think it's not un, unusual to have a committee. In fact, you know, if anything, you know, it needs well, more to focus. too like, many committees. You know, <laughs> like when you used to be in Pumandu, then just needs to be that very rigorous uh, PMO approach yes, yes. Uh, in, in delivering, particularly in terms of mm. the government and prime ministers' priorities.
0: And what's stuck, I think, with this budget is, when you look actually at the development expenditure, you don't see all these large mega-projects now. They kind of be smaller nature? Is this the nature and progression moving forward, right? Actually, that moving forward, Malaysia doesn't need any of these mega projects. Or if we do, right, it's going to be privately, privately financed moving forward,
1: 100%. I don't think it's necessarily accurate to say there's no um, big projects. But it's true that, you know, Prime Minister's again said that, you know, he does not want to be a Prime Minister known for yet another skyscraper and he wants to get the basics right. So for that reason, you know, you see him focusing on some of the well, some might say the simple things, but he says these are important, you know, getting um, school toilets fixed. And then this this coming uh, year, he said he really wants to address things like, you know, what the public often complains about, you know, road potholes. Um, Quar- Social quarters, investment uh, in focus uh, uh, clearly. Uh, so that, that certainly yeah. is one area where he wants to really make sure that the, the basics uh, are, are done right. But beyond that, there's still you know major projects uh, being announced. Uh, you know the Penang LRT was a commitment to go to the mainland. You know there's a Sabah Sar in Penang, Sabah. Um, the flood mitigation projects which are going to be awarded by the end of this year, you know 11 billion. Uh, so they're not uh, small projects uh, by by any means.
0: Yeah, I think what's also interesting is huge budgets for health and education going forward, right? How are we going to make sure that it hits actually the intended targets, right? Because it was meant to be, you know, eventually hitting nearly close to 5% of GDP, we are heading in the right direction. But is there a different implementation mechanism for these huge budgets there? Health ministry,
1: as you know, is the largest uh, increase uh, in months, and I think that's an important uh, as we transition to a post-COVID, where we need to shift as what articulated the health white paper, moving away from just treatment uh, towards prevention and primary healthcare. So, hence the the need to ensure uh, that healthcare or public healthcare is restructured. But you know, in addition to that, it's also trying to see how can we also better optimize on the entire healthcare system, including the private Mm. healthcare. That's why you see elements of. What we did in uh, COVID is decanting to private sector. There's also things which will be continued in terms of optimizing the the scheme Madani, leverages on the network of private GPS. So again, how do we then really deliver uh, on the rakyat uh, in terms of healthcare overall?
0: Alright, on today's extended Breakfast Grill, I have the pleasure of speaking to Dr. Johan Mahmoud Marikan, Secretary-General of Treasury at the Ministry of Finance on Budget 2024. After the 8.30am news bulletin, we shift our attention to the resilience of Budget 2024. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. You are listening to The Breakfast Grill, brought to you by Mobile. 5G makes business sense. Welcome back today on the Morning Run to help us unpack Budget 2024 in more detail and to share his perspective. We have the immense pleasure of speaking to Datuk Johan Mahmoud Marikan, who is the Secretary General of Treasury at the Ministry of Finance. Johan, I'm not joking, it is an immense pleasure. Thank you, thank you so much. <laughs> I'll just focus on one key item in the budget that really caught my attention, which was this clear reduced reliance on Petronas' dividend, now only at thirty two billion ringgit, right? And so really also with a potentially reduced subsidised bill, subsidy bill as well. I want to get your thoughts right. Was this reduction of the Petronas' division, dividend a result of, you, of Petronas channe- channelling a large sum to the Sarawak state government to set up their own sovereign wealth fund?
1: Well, thank you for that question. I think first it's really important uh, to recognize the importance of reducing our reliance on on oil uh, revenues. And so, as you quite rightly pointed out, uh, in twenty twenty two we had a dividends of fifty billion. We reduced that this year to forty billion, and our target for next year is thirty two billion. Mm. Uh, I think the the reason why it's important to achieve perhaps a sustainable level of of dividends is not just in terms of government's uh, fiscal position, but in terms of Petronas, they also need to play an important role in investing uh, in expanding the activities, not just in terms of their core activities, but in also in terms of their green agenda. Um, so as you probably aware in terms of Gentari, you know, we've so yeah. announced that, you know, their commitments in terms of investing in uh, renewables, um, even in terms of ammonia hydrogen. I think one area which, you know, has proven to be a good uh, area of collaboration with the Sarawak state government is in terms of, you know, how do we then explore the potential for, for hydrogen? How do we also, in terms of uh, CCUS, in terms of carbon capture. Uh, capture and storage, I think it's important uh, Petronas as a Fortune 500 uh, organization to really ensure that you know its portfolio is you know moves towards you know uh, the so your answer
0: suggests that it's actually a mixture of both right I mean there is a reduced dividend partly to reinvest and a lot of that reinvestment is in Sarawak is that fair that when you think about the channeling of the funds it actually is still with Petronas to reinvest but mostly in Sarawak then. Uh,
1: I think I think I think you need to probably get the details from 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 veterans. but certainly the agenda is to mm. invest uh, domestically uh, to really also contribute towards uh, growing of the economy, creating of, of jobs, and particularly in terms of also some of these downstream areas. But the the green agenda certainly is nationwide. Uh, I think that's something that we certainly look forward to them contributing towards. Uh, the agenda, particularly articulated in our energy transition roadmap, but it's not just Malaysia. You know, uh, Petronas is you know a Fortune 500. It's a global organisation. There are also areas where they also need to invest uh, globally uh, in terms of also ensuring that sustainability uh, and diversification of their revenue base.
0: Yeah, I mean I, it's very clear. Right, this budget is a very green budget. It's a very clear green agenda. One one sees the whole litany of incentives that came out lots of carrots but not enough sticks in my view right when will we start thinking about putting sticks like carbon tax in place
1: again you know it's it's a, you know yes you know many of us about carbon tax but we you know we effectively have a negative carbon tax through subsidies yes. so i think the important thing is really to address you know the electricity subsidy the diesel subsidy the petrol subsidies i think those are the first step before you know we're talking about carbon tax but as you quite rightly pointed out um, there are a lot of things announced on the green agenda and i think it's also important To highlight how this budget is not just about allocations, it also has a series of reforms and one of the important reforms uh, identified in terms of how NREC intends to improve on its third party access and also in terms of also loosening up in terms of its NEM uh, energy metering uh, quotas to ensure that it does facilitate uh, more private sector investment in Mm. energy transition.
0: But I think still the the debate here is, you know, when you see so many moving parts, right, all the big, big ticket items still to help assure our public finances is still there, right? You have to get the subsidies rationalized next year in some phase. Then you think about putting in place the GST and then we have carbon tax once you get that normalized, right? I think the question in my mind is, look, it sounds like 2024 budget is a stepping stone to a bigger roadmap. When will we see clarity about that bigger roadmap, right, towards getting to that number? And when do these timelines come into place? Because I think that's what we all want to see, right? We appreciate the short-term efforts here, but it has to lead to a bigger picture, right?
1: In some respects, I think that's, as as we started off uh, this interview, uh, the Prime Minister first laid out the Economy Madani Framework, which sets out a medium term and, and... it was very important for Prime Minister also set out a very holistic um, framework. You know, it perhaps you know in, in the past you'd be very familiar with the nuclear model. A lot of emphasis was you know let's get to that US GNI fifteen thousand yeah. per capita. You notice Prime has taken an approach where it's not just about growing income; it's about competitiveness, it's about social targets, it's also about governance targets. You know, so Prime has set out this you know shall we say uh, a holistic framework of where he sees the country heading, and as you rightly pointed out, budget. Uh, 2024, is really seen as, I, you use the word stepping stone, but I see it as really a very credible uh, commitment to those framework that he's announced. So at least, you know, it's seeded with, you know, various uh, reforms. So in terms of whether it's fiscal reform, you've got the Fiscal uh, Responsibility Act, you've talked about targeted subsidies. Um, in terms of even some of the institutional reform we're talking about in you know consolidation of, of, of GLCs, you know, there's even, you know... Pr- administration proceeding of you know, Freedom of Information Act. There's also this key part about um, uh, empowerment and in terms of being open for business. You know, there's reforms in terms of even on immigration. You know, that's normally something that many don't want to touch with. You know, talking about, you know, visa on arrivals for, you know, like the Middle mm. East, China and in India. It's even talking about MM2H being relaxed. Even the implementation of this multi-tiered levy, which we've been talking a long time, is also another stepping stone towards providing. I'm not sure that it's seen as a stick in, in your parlance, but, you know, this is where if a If an employer that employs more foreign workers, they would then be imposed a higher foreign levy. And that extra revenue, you know, we're committing to then saying that's not just to add to our coffers, but actually to be used for industry to then reinvest in automation or Mm. training.
0: And so, okay, there's a lot of initiatives here. I wonder when you construct this budget, right, how do you build resilience into this budget? How do you make sure that we can withstand another economic shock? The question in my mind is that in view that, really, if you look at our public finances, we are close to even the limits established in the Fiscal Responsibility Act. Can we take in another fiscal shock, right? I think that's the worry for many people. Because this looks like we assume that the economy is going to humdrum, we're going to have 4%, even though there's going to be likely an economic recession next year. How resilient are we in managing external shocks? But I think it's exactly
1: for that reason uh, that the government is committed to fiscal reform, um, bringing it down its, <laughs> its deficit towards the, the 3%. Uh, in addition to that, you know, even the fact of reducing patronage dividends, that also gives us that, that, that cushion in terms of a future uh, potential shock. But another lesson that we've learned from the COVID crisis is the importance of ensuring the strengthening of the social protection system. You know, we saw that during the COVID crisis, how those were not covered uh, by whether it's SOXO or EPF, you know, certainly uh, bore the brunt of the crisis. So you do see continued measures in terms of, for example, SOXO uh, expanding uh, or promoting the informal sector, the gig riders, Government's giving 90% uh, subsidy for those who are gig riders to, to subscribe to SOXO. We see also the increase in terms of the ceiling uh, from five to six thousand to enhance the coverage uh, for uh, Soxo so, um, KWSP also is announcing measures like introducing a flexible account, also to to allow for those uh, shocks. And um, we also try to, to incorporate the support, like um, even a, a measure like the our SJKP. You know, it's where we provide a ten billion guarantee to enable, especially those who don't have fixed income, to be able to get you know access to the financial institutions. So we're trying to build not just uh, in terms of resilience, in terms of um, the fiscal. Uh, position uh, but also ensure ensuring in terms of the social protection system it also better caters for, for future uh, shocks
0: Alright, on The Breakfast Grill today I have the pleasure of speaking to Datuk Johan Mahmoud American, Secretary General of Treasury at the Ministry of Finance as we have a wide-ranging conversation on Budget 2024 I'm Philip C, BFM 89.9 The BFM Breakfast Grill brought to you by Mobile. 5G makes business sense